is our last week in Heroes of the Faith. Three of you are really bummed. It's coming to an end. Last week in Heroes of the Faith. The fun thing about this series is we've gotten to hear different voices from the house. So we've gotten to hear from Matthew, which is awesome, talking about Esther. And then last week you had Nicole. Well, I was speaking at a conference in Kentucky, so you had Nicole. And that was, what a good word she brought. Wasn't that such a good word? And what a rich treasure we have in this house of people and their giftings. And it's just amazing to me. When I look around this room, I think, how did all these amazing people end up in one place? Like, that just seems, yeah, crazy to me. Um, but this is our last week, and we're talking about Jacob, who's a very um, uh, complex <laughs> story of, of a hero from Scripture. Um, and so we're going to start in Genesis uh, 28. So as you're turning there, let me just say this is Veterans Day. So happy Veterans Day. Uh, if you have served in our military, would you stand? I know, um, I think Eric's, I think Eric's out. If you stand, yeah, would you stand? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we want, we want to honor you. And um, I know um, Ken was going to give a, um, a little announcement today about this, but he had some teeth pulled. Poor Ken, and he, so he's out, but um, he and Jill, I think, were kind of working together and finding some resources because we have veterans returning home from Afghanistan and Iraq, and some of them are having struggles, and there are resources for them in those struggles, and we want to be a place where we can help meet those needs. And so um, many of you know Jill, and then um, Ken, they'll be presenting some of that in the coming weeks. How many of you know it's good to be equipped? Because people need to encounter God. God, but how many of you know, like, sometimes you need tools, like, they encounter God, and now they've, there's a bunch of stuff that's got to change, and it's good to have tools and help and support in that happening, amen, and so we want to be well-equipped, well-equipped for that. All right, so we're starting in Genesis um, <clears throat> 28 today. Um, in this series, we've been learning um, how to have faith and courage by looking at these heroes of the Bible. Um, because these aren't just like stories, right? These narratives aren't just stories. Like, that's an interesting story. We're meant to learn from them. And the fact is, we'll see again today, Jacob is a flawed hero. Jacob is not, it's not a black and white story like, oh, he's Captain America, right? Jacob is a flawed hero. And Jacob, in Jacob, we see this real desperate need for other people's affirmation and blessing, There's an inner emptiness in Jacob that we see through this story. Um, he keeps trying to fill. And how many of you know, like, that's comforting for us because if you've ever felt an inner emptiness, like three of us will admit to, um, it's kind of, it's like, thank you, Jesus, because how do we know Jacob's a hero? Because God calls him a hero. He is a hero because God calls him a hero, and God is righteous, which means he's right, right? Jacob is a hero, and Jacob is listed in this kind of pantheon of, of faith in Hebrews 11. Jacob's in there, and when we read through his story, we think, man, if, if God can, can pull a win out of this one, Maybe he could pull a win out of me. You know what I mean? It encourages us. I don't know how many of you are encouraged by that, but when I, I don't know. I get encouraged. When the disciples include all the really stupid things they did in the Gospels, I'm like, thank you. Like, that's super comforting. So Jacob is flawed. There's this inner emptiness that he struggles with, this need for affirmation, this need for approval. Um, Jacob is an important, for those of you new to the faith, just really quick to catch you up, Jacob is an important person. He's one of the three um, 
primary patriarchs of Israel. So there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God promised to Abraham who had no children. He was old. His wife was old. He said, you're going to have a son. And through this son, I'm going to bless the world. Indeed, the Messiah was going to come through Abraham's line. Big blessing. So Abraham is carrying that. And then Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. And it's through Jacob that this line is going to continue, that's going to bring about the Messiah. So these are important figures. They're considered the three patriarchs of Israel. He's an important guy in the story. He's carrying, for a lot of reasons, but he's carrying the line of the Messiah. And aren't you glad there was a Messiah, right? Who is going to come and bear our own sins and the wrath of God so that we can be made right with God. So one of the reasons we get to Genesis 28, one of the reasons, because we can't pick up the whole story, it's so good, but we can't do it all in, in one sitting here. Um, but there's family conflict in Jacob's, in, um, Jacob's house. So between his parents, Isaac and um, Rebecca, there's some issues. There's some dysfunction, right? So Isaac has a favorite son, and it's Esau, the firstborn, who's the one who traditionally would have carried the blessing and would have all the blessings would have fallen to Esau. And he's also the father's favorite son. He's a tough guy. He's super manly. He kills animals with his bare hands and feeds the family. And, you know, he's, and he's very hairy and smelly, we're told. And he's that kind of manly. Yeah. Some of our guys right now are in blinds, smelling just like Esau um, did. Okay, so that's Esau. Um, Jacob, on the other hand, is his mom's favorite. So not only is he dealing with rejection from his father, right, but he's also coddled by his mother, which is creating a really bad combination in Jacob. So not only is he, right, being rejected by his father, but he's learning to be pretty passive-aggressive, For mom. I'm not saying women are passive aggressive. I'm just saying she was like she was. And so he's learning how to get his way, not by having honest conversations, not by actually stepping up and manning up, but by deceiving. <sighs> Getting his way through these alternate routes. This is creating a problem for Jacob, some character issues that he's going to wrestle with throughout his entire story. So be, that's where this inner emptiness is coming from, this desperate need for affirmation and blessing. He is passed over, he is second best, he's rejected by his father, and he's carrying all of that in this story. Okay, so we can't read this part, but it's so good, so go back and read it this week. He actually ends up stealing his, father, his older brother's blessing by deceiving his father. His father's very old. He says, Esau, go make me my favorite meal. I'm about to, to give up the ghost, right? Go make my favorite meal and then bring it back to me and I will bless you. Well, Rebecca, the mom, hears the story and she's like, hmm, I'll my own little plan, right? So she says, hey, Jacob, I'll make the meal. You go put on some sheepskin and stuff. So we'll, we're going to steal the blessing. So when your father reaches out, because you're not going to sound like Esau, he's going to feel your arm and be like, well, it's hairy. So there's that, right? Put on some of his clothes so you stink. And so he and his mom conspire to steal this blessing. Now, I think as you read through the totality of the story, you'll see God was going to bless Jacob anyway. The blessing was going to pass through him anyway for, for several reasons we can't get into. But rather than letting God have his way and do it his way, Jacob and his mom conspire to do it deceitfully. And so he ends up stealing the blessing from his father, which crushes his father. 
Um, and then it creates, you can imagine, Esau's like, I'm going to kill him. And when Esau said he could kill something, like, he believed it because he did, right? That was, he was able to. So, yeah, so Jacob ends up whew, taking off, right? His father says, don't marry, because he's obviously going to have to leave because his brother is going to kill him. His father says, don't marry among the women here. Go. Go back to where we came from. Find a wife there. And so he runs off, right, middle of the night. Here's the deal, just really quickly, because it'll become important to go through the story. Rebecca is looking out for this son over her other son. It's problematic, right? But what's going to happen to Rebecca? She's never going to see her son again. Because she doesn't do it God's way, she's trying to get this blessing for him, but what's going to be the result of that? Because the older brother was deceived, now Jacob's got to go, and the thing Rebecca loves now, she will never see again. Man, when we try, there are blessings that God even has for us, but we take it out of his timing, right? We have these control issues, and then it becomes a curse for us in a way, right? Now listen, if you're thinking, oh, I think I did that here and here and here, here's what you do. I'm going to take this back and I'm going to give it to you, right? And then let him bless it. Because you can't go back and redo it. So don't live in the guilt and shame of it. Surrender it to him, right? Okay, so that's the buildup. For those of you new to the faith, there's a lot more to the story, but that gets that get you caught up with us. Okay, so <clears throat> the fact that he steals the blessing, the blessing of land, blessing of all that stuff, isn't as big of a deal. What else is flowing through the blessing of this family? The Messiah. The seed of the Messiah. And that's a, that's a really big deal because God said, through your family, I'm going to save the world. Right? One child in this family will bear the messianic seed right, in each generation until the Messiah is born. And so now Jacob is carrying that of most important blessings, isn't he, as he runs off <laughs> um, into the sunset. So Genesis 28. He's running off from his family now. Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamt of a stairway that reached from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the east and to the west, to the north, to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. That's a pretty good dream. That's a pretty good blessing. What he got from his father couldn't be any better than that. Right? What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. That's beautiful. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. 
if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide for me the food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place of worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Okay, so the blessing God gave him was beautiful. The last three verses we read where he sums it up is really disappointing, isn't it? What is his summary of what God said? He says, oh, well, if God indeed will protect me on this journey, and if he will give me food and clothing, and I can return safely to my father's house, then I will worship him. Oh my goodness, God said, I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to give you as far as you can see. And he's like, well, if he'll give me food and clothing. God set the bar here and he's like, well, as long as I get food and clothing to make it on this journey. Do you, are you getting that what, what his little... His little summary of what God said, one, is not even accurate, and two, is so much less than what God said. That's incredibly disappointing, right? And not just that, then he adds pettiness at the end. And if he does all those things, then I will worship him. He just acknowledged, like, this should replace it. Like, why not start worshiping him now? Because he's revealed himself to you. And why not decide that you're going to live up to this place when that's what God just said he's going to do for you? Right? It's a surprising passage, I think. Every time I read it, I think, man, life's going to get hard for you now. How many of you know there's revelation we live out of God gives us? We could have read a passage 20 times, and all of a sudden it becomes alive to us. You know what I'm talking about, revelation? You're not coming up with a new revelation. It's always been there. It's always a truth that's been true about him. But all of a sudden, it's not just your mind telling your spirit what to think about it. Your spirit starts telling your mind what to think about it. You know what I'm talking about? That, yeah. We get these revelations about God. And then rather than saying, oh my goodness, you have revealed what's true. You are Lord. I am not. Your way, not my way. We're like, how can I distill this down and fit it into my plan? <laughs> And our plan is always so much smaller. It's always so meager compared to what he planned for us. Oh, disappointing, Jacob, because you know what? The rest of the story would go so differently. And with that revelation of God, he would have just surrendered to him. Forget the control. My plan will never be as good as his plan. I might as well just let him be in control. This is truth. Okay. So, and he could have gotten healing in that point too. Because God basically said, I'll be with you. Like maybe dad wasn't there for you because he hadn't been <laughs> for Jacob. But God says, I'll protect you, right? The, you, the role you think of as a father, right? The steadiness, the protection, the whatever. God's telling him he's going to be all of that for him. So whatever hurts and wounds he had from dad, guess what? They could have gotten healed there at Bethel. Mm. but he doesn't. He leaves that place, the revelation that he doesn't walk in, and he takes his emptiness with him. And so what happens when we live out of emptiness? You all know. I don't have to tell you. When we live out of emptiness, what do we do? We find something to fill it, right? 
You can choose work, you can choose money, you can choose a bunch of stuff. We usually choose things like romantic love, which how many of you know, when you're making romantic decisions out of your own emptiness, things just go badly for you. Not good. Not good. So how does um, Jacob deal with his dashed hopes that not only did the whole blessing thing turn out badly because now he's lost his home and now he's separated from both parents and all that kind of stuff. How does he deal with his dashed hopes? And his inner emptiness? He sees the most beautiful girl he's ever saw, seen in his life. And he decides that he's going to fill this inner emptiness with this, you know, true love, right? Every other dream he had had fallen apart at this point. So he thinks, if I could only have Rachel, the most beautiful woman in everyone else's eyes and mine, I can finally have something that makes life worthwhile and will make me seem worthwhile in others' eyes too. So Rachel becomes his goal. Rachel is the daughter of his uncle, his mom's side, Laban. And how many of you know, Jacob's a deceiver, but how many of you know, like, birds of a feather flock together? <laughs> you want to choose to hang on to a character flaw? It will come back and bite you in the form of every person that you use around yourself. Peas in a pod, man. Birds of okay, don't believe it? I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. If a gossip walks in the house, within two weeks, they will have found every other gossip in the house. It's true. It's true. The deceiver finds a deceiver. But now his heart's overcome. I got to have Rachel. Well, what do deceivers look for? They look for someone whose heart is set on something. And now I can leverage that. That's what deceivers do. Negotiation. What's the first rule of negotiation? Be willing to walk away. Why? Because if you're not willing to walk away, you're going to get taken advantage of. Well, this deceiver has set his heart on Rachel. He's going to have her. And so he begins to bargain with, with um, Laban. And he tells him, I will work seven years for her. And then I'll marry her. Seven years I'll work. And then, and then you'll give her to me. Um, so in that day, you might have given someone... It, about 30 shekels maybe. You would, you would um, give a father 30 shekels because you're, you're removing someone from his household that's helpful in the household, right? When you take on a wife, I know we hate the idea of it, but whatever, um, 30 shekels. So you would have made about a shekel and a half doing his kind of labor. You'd made like a shekel and a half a month. So he is now gonna pay 80 shekels for what should have cost 30 shekels. Because right, he's gonna... He's put all of his chips in this thing, and now he's able to be taken advantage of too. When he could have trusted God, God was going to give him descendants. God told him he'd give him descendants. He could have trusted God, but he chose not to. So now he's going to work seven hard years for Rachel. Genesis 29, 23 through 35. Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Rachel who we haven't met yet, but I'll tell you about her. He took Rachel to Jacob and slept with her. And Jacob slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant too, who came with her. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah! Exclamation point. What have you done to me? Jacob raged against Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn. Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over, then we'll give you Rachel too. 
provided you promise to work another seven years for me. Dun, dun, dun. Right? So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. Mm-mm. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. Oh, oh, so many problems, just right? So many, many problems. So what happens? Um, well, we know that Leah, it says she has weak eyes, which would have indicated she's cross-eyed. She's not lovely. So Leah has lived in the shadow of this beautiful younger sister all her life. Passed over, not valued. And now, to get rid of her, <laughs> her father deceives Jacob, and they consummated the marriage, which means it's done right? Um, he wakes up. In the dark, he was tricked. He wakes up, and it is Leah. What does this remind you of? His father, who is blind. <laughs> Darkness shrouds his eyes. He deceived him, right? So you see these parallel things happening, right? Just as you deceived your father in the dark, you have been deceived in the dark, and now you've woken up to Leah, and Leah is not loved. This is a problem. She is passed over, rejected, unloved. And so in many ways, she actually is a partner that could actually empathize with Jacob. Because she has experienced and has some of the same emptiness that Jacob has. Right? Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved... He enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. What is she doing? If I could just have his love. Jacob, if I could just have Rachel, right? Trying to fill this longing and this emptiness and this brokenness with love. They're both trying to use love to fill that place, right? So she says, now, my husband will love me. But no, that's not how it ever works, right? She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord, that, the Lord heard that I was unloved, and he has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, since I have given him three sons. But it doesn't happen. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. If I could just have his love. Okay, one more son, just have his love. And at this point, she says, you know what? I'm just going to worship the Lord. The thing that's actually going to fill the emptiness and brokenness, right? She's actually going to turn to the Lord now. You are my source. And she stops having children. Now, if you're familiar with the story going to the New Testament, who's Judah, this last son that she has? He's the one who's going to carry the seed of the Messiah. Leah was unloved, but God loved Leah. 
and he gives her the ultimate blessing. More than Jacob, she's going to carry the blessing, right? She'll be the mother of those that will eventually, the Messiah will come from. That's a beautiful thing God does for her, right? And she's fulfilled in this now. The love of the Lord. She worships him. Okay. So every time she has a child, the name reflects her longing, right, for the husband. She's also looking for human love to fill her inner emptiness. But she's in hell because of it. Because Jacob's not ever going to give her that. We relate to her longing. Um, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, uh, it's like a song we were born remembering. There's this longing that we feel deeply and acutely within us. When the fall of man happens in Genesis 1 through 3, you can read about when the fall of man happens, everything gets broken. Our relationship to God is broken. Our relationship to each other is broken. Our relationship to nature is broken, right? Sickness and death enter the world because of sin. And our relationship within ourselves is broken. We're conflicted internally. And so this longing and this emptiness, we are longing for what Jesus is doing, which is making all things new. We're longing to be put back together by the presence of God, that restored relationship. So if you have felt the sense of longing or feel it now, the sense of emptiness, the sense of, listen, you're not alone. Every single person is born with it. It comes from the fall. And only Jesus can come and begin to fill that place we all acutely feel at times. And I want to say that just really clearly because I think most people feel very alone in their loneliness. <laughs> they feel very alone as though someone else has figured out all the, everyone lives in a Friends episode where lots of friends, you're right. <laughs> this is not true. <laughs> all of us come to this place where we deal with these inner longings and, yeah? And only God is going to be able to come and deal with that. So Leah cries out to God, and when she cries out to God, she doesn't use the very common name for God. She uses the name Yahweh, which is, wouldn't, would have been, it's very unusual that she uses this name. She is, through this process, learning a deep connection to God, even without having the Holy Spirit, because that doesn't happen until New Testament, right? She's learning this deep connection for God, and she begins to worship him. She had made an idol out of her husband, or out of family, but now she's wrestling out of the grip of that. And it's not that she won't have more struggles, but I mean, we don't see the same struggle now after this point with Leah. Okay, when she worships, she's then at peace. She takes those longings that she had placed in her husband. She puts them at the feet of the Lord, and here she's finding peace. Okay? Okay. Genesis 31. There's so much to this story. I know we're moving fast, but really we're just looking at their story, and we're, we're taking pieces from it to be encouraged, Right? Genesis 31, 25. So he worked seven more years for Rachel. Now he's got Rachel and Leah, and God said he would do what? He would bless Jacob. So Jacob's flocks are growing. I mean, his wealth is growing, and Leah and Rachel's brothers start to get irritated. They start to get mad. And even though Jacob is living in the blessing of God, he still hasn't put his trust in, he still hasn't put his trust in God. And so what happens when he hears these grumblings? Well, he's still a coward inside because, see, he's still in control. So what does he do? Okay, ladies, pack up real quick. We're going to leave in the night, right? So he's going to make another night escape from these families. He's afraid they're going to come and kill him. 
He's heard grumblings rather than go deal with it honorably. Now they're going to escape. Hmm. So he packs up all the kids and grandkids, skedaddles. Laban, the father of Leah and Rachel, isn't happy. How many grandparents are in the room? Who's a grandparent in the room? If somebody left and you would never see your grandkids again and you never got to say goodbye, uh, what would you do? Not happy. Not happy. So Laban catches up with Jacob, right? He's running. He's like, I can see him coming after me. He's running. He catches up with Jacob as he's camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by deceiving me like this? Deceiver got deceived, got deceived, right? Uh, what do you mean by deceiving me like this, Laban demanded? How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? Why did you slip away secretly? Why did you deceive me? And why didn't you say you wanted to leave? I would have given you a farewell feast with singing and music, accompanied by tambourines and harps. Why didn't you let me kiss my daughters and grandchildren and tell them goodbye? You have acted very foolishly. I could destroy you, but the God of your father appeared to me last night and warned me. Leave Jacob alone. I can't understand your feeling that you must go and your intense longing for your father's home because, right, there's, he's still living out of this. But why have you stolen my gods? <laughs> not happy you're taking my daughters, not happy you're taking my grandchildren, but you also took my false gods. Now I'm really, really, really ticked. Okay, we'll do that in a second. So what's happening? God said, I will go before you and I will protect you. Even when Jacob acts foolishly, what is God doing? He is mitigating the damage for Jacob. He's just good. Like, we literally can't exaggerate his goodness. So he goes before Jacob, appears to Laban, and says, you will leave him alone. You know, so Laban's like, okay. <laughs> if God, if you're going to appear to me, God, and tell me to leave, I'll do it, right? So he is still running interference for Jacob, who still is not putting his trust in the Lord, using all these broken, fallen world ways to make God's plan happen. <laughs> the part about the idols I think is important, and we can't deal with all of it, but I think it's important for this reason. Um, Rachel is the one who took the idols. The wife, the beauty that he loved. Um, and I think this is important because God obviously has shown lavishes love on Leah and has given her really the greatest blessing, which is she's going to carry the Messiah, the, you know, the lineage of the Messiah. And I think we could start to feel like, well, that's a bummer for Rachel. She can't help that she was beautiful and loved, right? Um, do you have to be an underdog to be loved by God? And that's simply not true. God put his blessing on Leah because Leah was actually going to worship him. Rachel never was. I think that's actually an important part to bring out of the story. Otherwise, I think God seems a bit capricious in whom he gives blessing. And that's just not true of him. His eyes are moving to and fro upon the earth, seeking anyone whose hearts are fully turned toward him. That's where his blessing is going to fall. Right? Okay. Genesis 32.1. So God has made things right with Laban, the father now listen, Laban said, I would have blessed you. I would have given you a feast. 
how many of you know Jacob could have put his faith in God and God could have given him father figures. But even with Laban, and well, Laban's a deceiver, there's all kinds of things, but Laban's like, man, I would have blessed you, I would have given you a feast, I would have, we didn't have to have broken relationship. Are, are you with me? When we're putting our trust in God, all of a sudden, we're able to have connections that are healthier with everybody around us, even with unhealthy people. You might be the healthiest friend, some people that you know know. This is actually a really important point. If you think about the prodigal son story, and we can't go through all of it, but the prodigal son story, the one son takes his father's stuff, the inheritance, I don't need you, I don't need your house, I'll go do it my way, and he spends all the inheritance, right, in lavish living, and he ends up broke. All the friends that are with him during the lavish living have totally, right, absconded with whatever they could get from him, and they're out. And what happens to the prodigal son? He's sitting, he finally finds a job feeding pigs. He's sitting by the pig trough. He looks at the food the pigs are eating and he says, man, the pigs are eating better than I am. If I could just, I'm not, I can't be a son because I behave so badly, but if I could just go back to my father's house and be a servant, my life would be so much better than it is now. And of course, his father receives him back as a son, and it's this beautiful story. But what happened at the pigsty? Had the father changed? The father at the beginning of the story, he can't wait to get away from, is the same father at the point of the pigsty. The father hadn't changed. What happened? The son finally decided to develop the heart of a son. The problem with the father wasn't the father. It was the position of the heart of the son. Are you with me? And until you position your heart like a son, no father is going to be good enough. Are you with me? Until you position your heart like a son or daughter, right? Because we are, if you're a believer in this room, we've been brought near as his very own children. Sons and daughters of God. And until you position your heart toward God as a father, no father will be good enough. No earthly father will be good enough. And the funny thing is, once your heart's positioned toward God as a son, all of a sudden, very flawed fathers you find good in. This is important to the story because what is motivating Jacob through this whole story? This emptiness and this longing from these rejections. From missing the love of his father. These things are motivating him to deceive and to, right? At any point in this story, he could have responded to the revelation of God and positioned his heart like a son. And then even all these flawed people would have been a blessing in his life. Are you with me? We're not waiting for other people to treat us better and be better. You're not at the mercy of life around you. You can position your heart right now toward God. And then watch what he'll do. <clears throat> Jacob started on his way again. Angels of God came to meet him. This is uh, 32, verse 1. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, This is God's camp. So he named the place Mehen Mehenem. 
Nahanam. So we've kind of come full circle in this story, haven't we? He left home. He encounters God, the stairway of heaven. But he doesn't, he doesn't receive everything God has for him. He stays in control. Now he goes through all these years, and now he's not a young kid running away. Now he's a man with children and all kinds of responsibilities in life, and time has elapsed. And now as he's heading back to the place that he was fleeing from in the beginning of the story, now he's heading back. Esau's there. Mom and dad are gone. Can't run interference for him. Now that he's heading back, what happens? Again at the camp, God appears to him. So Jacob's going to have another choice to make, isn't he? About how he's going to re-enter the land of the promise. Verse 25. Jacob sends his servants on ahead of him. He figures if, if Esau attacks them, then I'll know where I stand. <laughs> Coward. Coward. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. He also had removed his wives. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Now, did the angel of the Lord know his name? Yes. Yes, he did. What does Jacob mean? Deceiver. What's your name? Deceiver. That's who I am. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men, and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury in his hip. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the tenderloin near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man drained the tendon of Jacob's hip, strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Interesting. So this encounter with God, Jacob is going to leave with a disability. He's going to leave with a limp. He's going to physically be reminded every single day, every single step, I have wrestled with God and I've won. Now, his limp, this disability, might seem to people looking on like a handicap. But for him, it's going to remind him of the identity God had always made him for, which was to carry his blessing, to carry his seed, to fulfill the plans of God in his life, and to walk in harmony with God to walk under God's protection and favor. He wasn't passed over. He wasn't second best. He didn't have to deceive and be a scoundrel to make his way in life, no matter how anybody else behaved, because God was going to go before him. God was going to give him favor. God was going to protect him. God was going to give him the land. God was going to give him children. And every single day now, from this moment where he wrestles with God, he is reminded this might look like a weakness to you, but what is it reminding him of? I wrestled with God and men, and I won. And now my name is Israel. 
no longer Jacob. If you would stand. There's so many little seeds in the story that can encourage us as we think about putting our faith in God. As we respond to God in worship, I'm going to call for a few things. Number one, if you're in this room and maybe you even believe in God, maybe um, you think God's a good thing, but you've never put your faith in him. You've been the master of your own destiny. You've been in control. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So you come to a point of belief, but belief, even the demons believe and tremble. You can believe and not be submitted to his lordship. You come to a point of belief, but then you say, you know what, I'm going to repent of my sins and turn my life over to you. Repentance literally means to change your mind. That God's going to bring transformation, not just in what you do, that's going to follow the inner transformation he's going to bring that happens through repentance. And so if you're here today, worship team and prayer team, come on up. If you're here today and you're like, man, I need to put my faith in God. I've been in control. In a moment, God will change your life. The Bible says that our bondage to sin is broken in that moment and the spirit of Christ comes to dwell within us. It's a powerful thing. But I want to invite you, if that's you, come and get prayer. Number two, maybe you're recognizing, maybe you're already a believer, but you're recognizing, man, I've got longings. I can see that I've got, there are things I have been trying to use to fulfill inner longings that I recognize now, they're really for God. They can come through a lot of different ways. Maybe you relate to the rejection that Leah felt, that Jacob felt. Maybe you relate to the fact of just having to be in control to make sure stuff works in your life and not really knowing how to trust God. But I guarantee you today, if you cry out to God, just like Leah, he will meet you in that place if you recognize in yourself, man, I have been using lots of stuff to try to make my life seem worthwhile or full, meaningful, not lonely, <laughs> whatever it is, I encourage you, come and get prayer. Get prayer today. Don't just keep it in your head. Say it out loud. Have someone agree with you in that. Cry out to God. It's amazing. He'll give you revelation. He'll, there's stuff he'll show you. That longing was made for him. <laughs> that music you were born remembering is him. Maybe there's other parts of the story that brought up some things for you. Listen, we don't just want to like pile information on information. We're going to do something with that information. Yeah? Do something with it. Jacob had God speaking to him the whole time. He did nothing with it until late in life. Don't just have him speak and do nothing with it. Ask him, God, what do you want me to do with this? What happens next? What's the plan? What do I do with this? Move from revelation to transformation. Amen? Maybe you're sick in body and you need healing. We see healing in this house all the time. Come and get prayer. So there's folks back in the alcove there, Craig and Matthew, that can pray with you. There's folks here that can pray with you here in front. And any believer in the house can pray with you because every single believer in this house has been given his kingdom without measure. So you can lean into someone next to you for prayer, but let's take some time to respond to God. What is he speaking? Do something with it now. Amen?
feels like there's still a bit of unfinished work in the house, would you do this for me? Would you turn to someone you did not come to church with and just say, hey, can I pray for you? If you're a believer in the house, would you just turn to someone near you who you did not come to church with and say, hey, can I pray with you? I'll pray with you about anything. Can I pray with you? There's just some unfinished work in the house. Can we just do it? Can we do it? Thank you, Father. 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 Look behind you and in front of you. Hey, Alan.
keep praying. Keep going. If you're praying, keep praying. Keep doing what you're doing. If you're done praying, Leonard had a word for us. Um, I got a feeling, um, real close, um, that God is telling you to come forward. Whatever you're hanging on to, He is a lot better for you. So don't stand back and be afraid. Don't think people are going to think different of you. Come up and receive his blessings and his courage and uh, his love. Why don't you stay here, Leonard? You need prayer? Come on and see Leonard. Maybe there's stuff specifically and you're like, man, God, I want to make a trade. As we've seen this one last time, you come and get prayer. You can pray with someone near you, of course, but I don't know. Sometimes when God kind of speaks to someone, there's just some kind of fun flowing through him. So as we sing, come and get prayer. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul. I want more of you, God. I want more of you. Get it. Get it. Yeah. So good, Lord. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can contain, that I can control. I want more of you, God. There's no place, there's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than here in your love, here in your love. Oh, no place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be than here in your love. that are uh, that are not praying with anybody we're going to pray together as we close before you leave you might have something you got to talk to about a timing thing or you might need to go get groceries whatever you're doing before you leave would you encourage somebody would you just encourage somebody encouragement's a gift of the spirit maybe the most underutilized one because we need courage courage is being able to walk into a situation where you don't get to control the outcome we need courage to do the things he's asking us to do. So would you encourage somebody before you go? 
And so often we encourage, it's not even really our words, it's we're saying them, but so often God just wanted to encourage somebody through us. He's wanting to speak to that person. He's so good. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory (laughs) forever, forever. Amen. 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 God bless you. Encourage someone before you go. If you're visiting with us, you're staying for lunch. Um, We're going to head up these stairs to the fellowship hall in just a minute. You can meet us there and we'll